G'day everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Thought Club. My guest today is my good friend Chris Ballou. Chris is an English software engineer currently living in Perth and we've known each other for over 10 years now. We have a shared passion for software, entrepreneurship, comedy and documentaries and I always love our conversations. In this episode we talk about how we met, got into software and then move into talking about entrepreneurship. We take a look at two entrepreneurial ventures that Chris has been a part of and talk about some of our shared mistakes in this area. Even if you're not interested in the subject matter, I highly recommend listening to this episode just to enjoy Chris's voice. Chris probably has one of the nicest accents I've ever heard and listening back to the podcast, I was amazed at how clearly he speaks without any verbal tics. Let's jump straight into it. Please welcome Chris Ballou. There you go. It's going in. It's going in. It's going in. We're live, but we're not live. Mm. We're just recording. It's going into a machine. So if this is shit, you can just not put it up. And also, yeah. if there are shit bits, you can just edit them out. Well, I'd like, probably... it, I'd like it not to be edited. It would be really I nice. I don't know if we can... That's a bit of a high hope for the first one, I reckon. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that, that's sort of the goal. Because we both need to improve. Because it's, it's both questioner and questionee need to have some experience, I, would, I reckon. Right. Move that, get that away. It's, but, it's fiddling, it helps me talk. Yeah, don't, don't fiddle, no fiddling. No fiddling. But, yeah, I mean, because you, you said you don't know anything, right? You didn't yeah, really... I mean, I guess it's some kind of imposter complex that right. makes me think that anything I say isn't really that interesting or it's not novel or it's... Because listening to, like, Joe Rogan and, and people like that, the guests yeah. he has on a very good in their fields and they have a lot to say that's very interesting right um and maybe some stuff i have to say is interesting but what are you an expert in what do you what do you think you're an expert in i don't think i'm an expert like a a significant expert such that other peers in my field would look at me and go oh wow he has extraordinary knowledge but why not do do you think anyone your age does really or is that is that probably the imposter, not imposter complex again? Uh, probably not. Uh, but also, I probably consider myself a generalist. Like I, I like to dart around in my interests. So I, I do some some. I get really intense into something for a few months, right? And then I tend to lose interest and I go to something else. So I've you know I've built quadcopters. I've done gardening. Like I've yeah. done lots of different things and got really obsessed, like hydroponics, and set it all up and. Yeah. And made some awesome vegetables and then gone, oh, okay, I've done that. Now I'm going to go and do some like machine learning or something on the computer for do you, a few months. Do you consider that a fault or is that just uh, sort of the way you are? No, I guess not. But it, it results in the fact that I guess I'm only interesting if we talk about the, the volume of different things I've done. Not Okay, the, so yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about lots of things instead yeah. of one thing. No, that's definitely the way that I, I would want to talk to my friends about. Like that's the reason why I like to talking about things with my friends so much is that we really have we have a group of pretty general people yeah i think probably the most expert if i think about the people that we know that are very expert i would like the names like nathan shaw come up ronan yeah yeah who's this let's keep going anyway you need a third you need a third mic percy yeah, no, I'm thinking of... Because why not have multiple people? That's no, how no, radio the, shows I, work. I, yeah, I want, I want multiple people. I just... I can buy more. I mean, these, these booms... I'm talking to Chris! Hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these, the, booms, the booms are pretty cheap. 
<laughs> the, the mics are pretty cheap as well. It's quite a cool setup. Hello. Boom Hello. Boom the shot. Boom the shot. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I want to get more, but I want to actually, like, I want to make some. Make some microphones. Well, no, I want to make some podcasts first. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to just go and buy, you know, four microphones when two is all you really need in order to talk to one person. Yeah, but these guys arrived and then we yeah. have more. Well, I didn't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, we can work on it. This is just a, a test, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was it was really it was really bad before. Can you hear that? Like, if you talk, can you hear the the like resonance in that corner? Like, if you say something, can you hear like the bong, bong? Yeah, yeah. there's there's definitely there's definitely yeah. resonance here. Luckily, the the mics don't really pick up yeah. a huge amount of it. That's good. Yeah, that's but, yeah. good. You can't get instant Joe Rogan like full setup. <laughs> well, no, but like his <laughs> one one of his microphones <laughs> costs more than everything I spent. For uh, like to set all yeah, this up, yeah. basically. Wow, yeah. So here's what is it like a road? I think it's R7 or something right. like that. The mic itself is like six hundred dollars, and these are eighty bucks. These are okay. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. I mean, it all works. Like ten ten dollar ten dollar headphones, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so. I think maybe maybe the most expensive thing, the most expensive single order that I placed was probably for the acoustic panels. That was a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you should oh, just wow. got eight cups. But that doesn't that doesn't with work. With eggs in for the lower frequency. <laughs> <laughs> but did that I I read online that that's a myth. I read online that egg cups don't actually do anything. Like the 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 acoustic foam, the, the shape is just to diffuse just, the yeah. sound. But actually, what's the the main function is actually the acoustic foam because the acoustic foam absorbs, absorbs the sound. You don't want any. You almost want no reflections. That's the ideal, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, you want it to just be well, like a black spot, but then if you if you do have a shape that diffuses the sound, at least it doesn't. Um, you don't have like directional directional echoes or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. It sort of gets diffused, and then that has lower energy as it like reverberates around the room. Yeah. So he Percy's got interesting things to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, he should just interview himself. <laughs> what do you do? You need to do something. Do you, do you he, want can, to cook he can or? watch. He can watch. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just wondering. Like, I'm do you, okay. okay? Do you have a bike? A bike? Yeah. No, okay. I, I want one though. Because Emma has to leave at like twelve thirty. Her parents coming here. Okay. Um, and I realised like as we pulled in, if I put my bike in the back of the car, I could stay longer and ride home later. Okay. But I'll just go with her then. You have to go at twelve thirty. It's too early. Yeah, I know. So well, I can. What? Where do you need to go? I just fuck. I'll drop you home. When? Later. Yeah, I'll be. Re- I'll be drunk. I'll no, pay. Exactly. I'll pay for your Uber. I don't no, care. No, no, don't leave at twelve thirty. That's just like that's stupid. I can take you places. Yeah. yeah but also, I was like, I want to exercise, and I was like, if I brought my bike, I would have like, all of my desires would have been fulfilled. Yeah. Perfect. No, yeah. But don't leave at twelve thirty. That just made me really upset. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, you got tissues here. Yeah, that's super upsetting. My nose is dripping anyway. So, yeah. So one of one of the the generalist people that we're talking about is Barnaby Nichols. Almost Barnaby. Yeah, Barnaby's General, got a lot generalist, of you, Generalist to a fault. Are you recording? Yeah. Yeah. Everything's recording. Yeah. Oh no. We're yeah. gonna edit. Maybe. No edit. No, we'll start again. No, we have to start again. We have to start again. This we'll is li- the we'll- most amateur podcast on the we'll- internet. That could be the whole cell. <laughs> the whole cell. Could be amateur hour. Don't look at my notes. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah, the most the most amateur podcast. No, we have to listen back and we have to do it exact we have to say the exact things that we said previously. Alright. So 
Let's go back. Because you know, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is when, when we were sort of starting out, my view of the world was different. Like this has sort of come from a feeling sure. where like now I feel really, really capable Right, I feel really capable, but that like dopamine that I had when I was eighteen, nineteen, living with you, where it was just like pure optimism, and you sort of don't know how much work goes into actually making something. You yeah. just sort of like you see a skill, and you see like some sort of vague end product, but you don't actually see the path between it. And then as you get older, you sort of you start to see the path between like having an idea and actually executing it, and it makes makes the idea or like even fantasizing about the result of the idea way less pleasurable right Have, so, has that happened to you uh i'd say so and, and by capable do you mean you, you you're not necessarily more skilled but you but you you're able to imagine and, and plan out what, what I, I i would say specifically more skilled yeah what what i mean what i mean specifically is that like now I could build anything where previously I didn't really have the same level of skills in, in the various fields of like software engineering or web development. Okay, so we're, we are limiting it to software like lots of other things. Like for instance, podcasting is new for you. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you kind of been much skilled in that at the start. But. Well, I, haven't, I'm, I, I don't think I'm particularly skilled at it anyway. Yeah. But the, tech, like, the technical side of stuff now and I think has always been for us really, really easy. Right, the technical side of things is the easy part for us. I think because we've enjoyed it, so we, right. it's, it's been very little effort to get deep into something and really concentrate on it and break right. down barriers. So, yeah, it has, has become easier. Like building this studio was really easy, basically. Right, okay. I Good. think I think for for a lot of people potentially, and actually all of the steps required to do everything apart from actually talking and producing the interview and probably producing it. It's like actually. The most difficult thing is sitting down and talking to someone, mm. right? Because everything else you can do by yourself and you can basically do on the internet. Like it, I, I didn't even have to leave the house to buy any of this. Mm. Like it all just came delivered, right? And I feel like that's something that we, that's sort of like a mistake that we've identified that we've sort of gone through a lot with all of the different entrepreneurial ventures that we might have tried is that the easy route for us is actually the execution, in a sense, right? The execution of the technical side of the idea, whereas the difficult part of actually like talking with people and selling the thing is what we don't do yeah. because it's difficult. So, so I think I think maybe one of the reasons why you, you said building this studio is easy is perhaps because um, this has been a new thing for you. And I often think the hardest thing about a new thing is the learning curve and how uncomfortable that, make, that, that makes you feel. And therefore sort of, uncomfortable is the antithesis of easy in some ways mm. so i think what you've possibly done is you've you've sort of taught yourself how to how to learn yeah and so you've 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 realized that you have all these unknowns but you haven't felt uncomfortable in researching them and learning them right and so it's just sort of continued to feel easier and then the the execution as you say is perhaps a bit easier anyway so the whole process wasn't too uncomfortable for you maybe but then i yeah that that side of things it's sort of the difference between actually like finishing the project and making it a success, right? So it's the idea of, okay, I've built a website, but that's not the end, right? The end isn't the end isn't having having a completed product or thing that you've packaged up. Mm. What is the end point? The end right. point is like someone listening, right? Or someone 
consuming your thing. Yeah, it depends what your right. goals are. I mean, if your goal is to produce a passive income that then unlocks all your life goals, yeah. then it's making money, which is quite a lot further down the line. I would say an even bigger part of the journey than creating the website in the first place, actually right. trying to get it to a profitable and significant income stream. Well, that's that's sort of a good segue back to how we sort of met and started and wanted to do stuff. Because I feel like probably you got into programming with some idea of wanting to build something that would generate a passive income or is that something that came later i got into programming accidentally i did i started my university in england as electronic engineering and then one of the units in the first year of that was programming um and before i did this unit programming in my head i thought was a a data entry thing i thought oh that sounds incredibly boring because people would sometimes say coding and i would think of codes and oh you got to look up these things and enter them Ah. so i think it'd be really boring and then when i did this unit it turned out to be really interesting it was really creative there were some interesting concepts and it kind of felt like playing with lego like you could Mm. leverage small parts to build ever bigger parts that is almost no limit so that was really enticing and it actually caused me uh, when I came over here, because that was in England, when I came over here to actually change my degree entirely and just right. do software engineering. So it started accidentally and then just became a passion. Through- Wait, so, so you, I always thought that you were sort of into programming earlier because we met when I was probably 16, right? Mm-hmm. That you wouldn't have started university at that point. So you didn't you, you didn't even know that you wanted to become well, a programmer at that point. Well, there's three years between us, so I would have been 19. So I would I would have done a year. Ah, uh, okay. I would have, yeah. I so you're have, already into it. Yeah, or at least halfway through. So so I probably would have only predated your programming by up to a year. Right. Yeah. But then, so you'd never tried it before university? I, I think I had, like, I can remember sort of my dad used to get these computer magazines and you'd get CDs with them, which would have free things like tools and stuff. And one of them was like a... Uh, some kind of development environment that was like a drag drop WYSIWYG form builder thing and I'd I'd sort of build a form and I'd press a button and some numbers would appear and like that's that's really the and how, how old were you in that oh that that um, was I was probably maybe sort of 14 15 but okay. I guess my computer exposure goes much much younger I mean my dad's always had computers and I was always excited when we got new ones which was every year or two um, and I would sort of get to look inside them and, and take them apart and put them back together and then um, do the upgrades. So so I, I kind of was exposed to them, but not as a software thing, more as a, just a sort of, oh, we've got a computer in the house right. and I want to set it up and play games on it. So it was more, you were almost more into the hardware side, which sort of makes sense going into electrical engineering if you yeah. were... If you were sort of more interested in the hardware side of things, yeah, I think that's what that's that was a connection between the two. And what programming language did they teach you at university? It was C. Why is that? Why is that the language that they teach in first year? I think well, it was the I, same for me in, in mechanical it? engineering. They did they did C. Yeah, and I remember enjoying it. But then now looking back at it, I feel like. For for first year students, I don't know if C is the right language to like introduce someone to programming. I guess maybe you could introduce uh, at a very basic level something more high level, something simpler. But I think it right. makes sense for engineering, especially electronic engineering, where you're you're dealing with hardware and then abstractions of hardware. And right. then you, it's a small step then to go into a low level programming language where you, where you can almost visualize the gates and sort of sort of see how things work, sort of one level above assembly. Um, so I, I think it's sort of there is a kind of 
a smaller difference of abstraction there for right. first years. So. Yeah, definitely with sort of an electrical engineer, that makes a lot more yeah. sense. For, for me, the unit was a general, like everyone in engineering in the engineering foundation year at Curtin has mm-hmm. to take the programming unit. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it's it's just too hard. It's just too hard. And I think maybe because C... C is not a high-level language, as you've mentioned. I think it maybe maybe scares a lot of people off. But then for you, maybe maybe that's a good filter, right? Because because it's not an easy language. If you if you can look at C and be inspired by the creativity that you can get with C, well, then anything higher level than C, you're like, well, this is I'm going downhill now. Yeah. This is really nice and easy. Look at all these abstractions, like. You know, I don't have to, you know, check for null pointers or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found the same thing in my, in my first year software class that it was quite polarizing. There were a lot, there were a few people that really enjoyed it and just almost had to put no effort into get 100% because it just seemed obvious. And then a group of people who just didn't get it at all. And this huge group of people that just sort of didn't really get it, but sort of could do a couple of things. And ended up sort of just copying off the people that, that mm. figured it out just to get through the unit. I wonder what what, what it is that causes that difference. Is yeah. it is it just a you know it's nature or nature? There's a whole big question there. But yeah, because my, my really boss know. has a theory that it's something like three percent of the population can be programmers. And for me, as soon as I hear that, I'm like that that doesn't that it doesn't ring low. true for me. Yeah, that seems really low. But I wonder like how specific a skill is programming you know versus something like music right where music you would sort of say you know someone that is a professional musician would need to have some prerequisite talent for you know for music right in order to become a professional musician right whereas you don't look at some accountant and be like ah they must have some some special talent in order to be an accountant or you know you look at an engineer you might say okay an engineer they're probably good at maths they're yeah. probably, you know, decent at physics and that sort of, um, you know, symbol manipulation. But it's sort of like a spectrum of like how much talent do you think is required in order to be competent at this mm. particular skill? Because I think for a lot of people, music is if I want to be competent at this, I need some sort of talent. Like I need to be, you know, I don't need to be a savant level, but I need to have some sort of pre-existing natural sort of way to grasp this do you reckon programming is like that uh i'm not sure i i don't know the answer to that question um but but the interesting thing is um when with with some of the skills you talked about like learning to play music it's it's kind of obvious to someone on the outside whether someone's a good musician or not and it's interesting mm. that you can't you really can't tell that of a programmer like you could meet what, someone by looking could, at their code or you if, mean by speaking if, to them if someone who is unskilled looking at a skilled programmer's code can't really tell if it's good or not right but a musician and almost every other like lots of other things you can you can tell this 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 musician's great like Bach is a great composer right so someone this someone who's a really not good a good sportsman right. yeah yeah so yeah like a like a layman could look at or could listen to someone who's a good musician and know that they're a, a good musician yeah. whereas yeah with with programming it's sort of if the thing does the thing that you want yeah. you sort of need a long exposure to be able to determine the level of quality yeah. in the actual final product because yeah. really and this is sort of a conclusion that I've come to after you know after programming for so long is really what you're trying to do is just eliminate errors right because 
something working on the happy path is really easy to do, but having having something degrade gracefully when mm. it's not in like a happy context mm. is actually what most of it is about and being able to read your code six months later. Yeah, it's that, basically, it's it's what you said. It's preventing current errors, like immediate after you've deployed the code, but you're present, preventing future errors many years down the line, like good quality code with tests and well-written and, and easy to understand is actually preventing future errors. So it's yeah, it's a good summary. When you... When you switched to software, did you have some idea of what you wanted to do with it? Or did you just know that, like, so this is what I want to do with my time? I, I think at some point, I'm not sure exactly when, I, I realized that working for someone else wasn't a way to get to to fulfill dreams easily. Like, if if you decide you want to see the world, and like I did, and trying to do that as part of a full-time job, working for someone else you're limited to sort of four weeks leave a year and so at some point I developed the you know the want to to work for myself and and make money that wasn't linked to who I was working for so uh, and then it became apparent that software was the way to do this you've got Google and, and all these tech companies popping up and you've got people who are putting in effort at the start and they're making inordinate amounts of money off them um, so so I guess at some point software did become a way to make money um, is that is that what prompted the switch, or did you switch before you had no, that idea? No, I think it was just more interesting to me. Okay, um, yeah, I had very little um, passion in in when I chose a subject to study in England. I, I pretty much just picked something out of the prospectus that that had a cool picture. I think I had a picture of a plane. So I, I, like electronic engineering had a yeah, it had a picture of a, of a plane, plane okay. and some electronics and things. So right. I. I oh, like it seems strange, but that was probably a big factor. But it's so I I look back at I mean what I decided to do. I feel like I I don't know. I don't want to call it a mistake, but the idea of presenting a seventeen year old with a choice of like, hey, do you want to spend you know thirty five thousand Australian dollars and four years of your time <laughs> learning something that you won't use? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know the alternative, but I feel like that is a little bit strange, right? There's, like, there's really no precursor decisions in life that lead up to that, is there? It's no. Just suddenly, you're basically an adult now. You have to you have to make decisions with huge amounts of money and right. massive life parts of your life up front. Yeah. Because the, the next thing of like even even close to a similar amount of financial value is probably buying a house or a car, maybe. I mean, I don't know, buying a $30,000 car, I mean, it's not something even I would consider now mm. where, you know, I'm getting paid fairly well, but $30,000 mm. on a vehicle mm. that I could, you know, for $3,000 does the same thing. It would only be the only thing that would sort of separate those two is like sexual selection for me <laughs> because it's like I can buy a $5,000, you know, Corolla Corolla wagon that will do basically anything except go off road. Yeah. But, you know, for $30,000, you can get a less practical car, mm. but may give you some sort of sexual selection. But, yeah, I, I look back at that and I don't know the alternative, right? Because knowing what I do now, right, if I had the knowledge of, you know, if I had the same knowledge that I do now at 17, imagine if you just would have just finished school and then just started teaching yourself programming online. Like, that's what I did just maybe six or seven years later. Like, the reason that I'm I'm a programmer now is... You know, I'm self-taught. I decided like this is actually what I want to do after I graduated. This is what I want to do, and I just 
you know, sat in a room for two years coding and then suddenly I, I, I have the skills necessary to become a professional web developer. Yeah. Imagine if you started that. Imagine if right now, like I'm, I'm 28 now, imagine if I had 10 years of software development under my belt. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess society is very used to sort of saying you've got to go to uni to make that next step up into life. And I do think software is probably one of the only exceptions still to that that it's you true. can go out. So, and and we, maybe when we were we were heading towards uni, there was there was some ways to learn software, but it probably wasn't delivered that well on the internet. The internet didn't have all these you know all these free course websites. Mm. There was there was probably some things you could have read. Um, so it probably wasn't obvious to us at the time that you yeah, could have done that. Yeah, it's definitely more obvious and, now. But even for someone like Aidy, right, who didn't go into software, but she's sort of running her own business, she did the same degree as me. She did mechanical engineering, four years, 30 right. grand. And, you know, now now has a debt. It's only indexed with inflation. But I just, I wonder if there are alternatives because I think for a lot of people, it makes a lot of sense, Right. You start early, you get the four years done by the time you're 21, you have a bit of a debt, but you go into a job where, you know, even first year out of uni, you could probably be above 60,000 Aussie dollars a year. I mean, especially in the middle of the mining boom when I graduated, probably a lot of my peers were able to get probably six-figure six figure salaries in their first year, even though they had no real skills. So you look at that, you look at the, maybe that is the common case, you know, Maybe that is the common case of people actually being really glad that they didn't take a year off, that they just went straight to uni because now they got it out of the way by the time they're 21. Are we the edge case in a way? Well, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you feel like you're an edge case because you change, but then you basically went straight through, finished, went and and got a job straight after. But maybe people like me or 80, are we the edge case? How many people... This would be a really interesting thing to have like a census about, right? Ask people, are you doing the job that you studied at university? Are you doing the job that you started out studying at university, right? So you did electrical engineering, you changed to something else, but you changed fairly quickly. And just like working out sort of the success rate, the success rate of like what you've chosen at 17 to like what you are now. Are you satisfied with with where you are um, are you doing the thing that you chose when you were 17? I'd really like to see the numbers. Yeah, I, that would be interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of indecision when you're when you're heading out of high school and into uni and, and probably like both of us, we, we just sort of chose something. And it's, it's almost an exercise in risk reduction. Like society's telling you, yeah, you could probably go and do anything you like. The world's your oyster. Right. But if you do these small set of things, there's a very high chance you're just going to land in something. And maybe back in our parents' generation, they were told to do that, they'd do that, and maybe more than would do so now would stay in that even if they didn't like it. So you you might have people that train as, a, as an engineer and then just stick with it for 10 years and, and get some money because their, their family and society is telling them to do that. And then maybe they can change. Whereas now there's probably a bit more flexibility, and and you, you can. Do you, do you think it's a good thing? Um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's a big question. Like, yeah. what do you do with your life? Do you do something that makes you happy? What is happiness? Right. Do you do something that where there's meaning? Is there meaning in engineering for some people and not other people? It's it's a big question, really. I, I don't know what anyone should do with their life. Yeah, it's a, and especially at that 
that age, right? Where you're still you're still developing and you have basically no life experience. But yeah, I think yeah, I think the big question for me is yeah, is it is it a boon for our generation? Because I feel like that's probably one of the biggest biggest sources of discontent in people that I know of our age in like a first world Western country like Australia where you really are presented with every option. And that's actually what causes the discontent is because you're presented with so many options, you then have to choose between an infinite number of alternatives. Yeah, and you get FOMO, infinite FOMO. Infinite FOMO. You just turn it up. So I don't think that, yeah, I don't think you're presented with the right set of tools to be able to deal with infinite FOMO. But even after that, like when when you're in a particular field maybe it was like way more psychologically rewarding if someone just allocated jobs if someone was you know it could almost be like a mystical thing you know i, you know, I hear about these things um what is it the uh what do they call it it's like in american movies and stuff like that where they sort of tell you what job that you're well suited for what was that called something counselor oh. You know what I'm talking about, like a, right? It's not a guidance counsellor, is it? It's I think a, it might be a guidance counsellor. Yeah, 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 something like that. The guidance counsellor sort of tells you what job you're suited at. But imagine if we had something like that where you just sort of, you walk into a room and it's like a sorting hat from right. Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, just something something that tells you what to do. And they're like, yeah, we've, we've actually looked deep into your brain, right? Ostensibly, yeah. right? it could be a complete lie. We've looked into your brain and we've we found that you're like particularly well suited to, to these particular fields and that you will you will be successful if you if you follow this, right? If someone was to tell you that and then you you made the same decision that you probably would have made anyway, would you be like way more satisfied? Would you be, you know, maybe equally satisfied? I guess it depends. Is the, is the the test they're doing does it does it measure just sort of um, some personality test, some simple thing that's that's got lots of error, or is it actually smart enough to know what you want? Can it, it can it read thoughts? Can it can it read intentions? My yeah. idea was it was just some person, right? Some person <laughs> looks at looks at this kid, right? So you've got like a high school student, and you just sort of look at their look at their scores. You're like, oh, okay, they're they're more they're leaning more towards uh, you know English and that sort of thing. You're like, okay, I'm going to just choose journalism, or I'm going to choose copywriting, or I'm going to choose something like this and i'm going to tell them i'm going to tell them that i i have some insight that they don't have right, right. but i don't i'm ah, i'm okay. just what i'm doing is i'm removing removing the choice yeah. i'm basically narrowing it down and saying like this is this is what we've 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 determined quote unquote determined is the best thing for you to go into based on you know whatever test that we have or don't have right and these are the next two things right and you present that to them. And maybe they would have just gone for that number one thing anyway. But having not been presented with that information, having not been presented with, you're really well suited to this, they start to question, right? Yeah. Is is this the thing that I'm best suited for? Is this the thing that will you know give me the most reward in life? That sort of thing. If you just present people with that information and say like, yeah, this is this is what you should do. You don't have to do it, but this is what you should do. And then they do it. I reckon people would probably be way more satisfied just because, just because they have some sort of feeling that I can eliminate alternatives without even considering them. Like I don't even need to consider them. Someone else, some higher power, some God, right, quote unquote, has has told me this is what I should do. I'm yeah, just going to do mean, it. I, I mean, I presume some degree of people would be submissive and they they take that and and they just do it. They they they'd be happy to do that and they wouldn't question it. Um, but then I imagine another group of people would, over time, 
feel not fulfilled in this and and start to think of other things and i don't know where the the split lies i guess if if most people are submissive then yes that would that would work out and for the people that were feel unfulfilled and changed 10 years later and perhaps decide that they've wasted 10 years on this thing um having having um I've lost my train of thought. No, yeah. well, my, my my next question in that was like, well, how, why would someone be unfulfilled in a job? Like, why would why would two people in the same position, one person be fulfilled and one person not be fulfilled in a particular job? So obviously, like, we can maybe take something like software, right, or like programming. Let's just take that, right? Do you know do you may do you know many programmers that are unfulfilled with that? Um. It's hard to say. There right. are some. There are some that come to work and just don't don't seem to enjoy it as much as I do. But it, that could be for a myriad of reasons. It's hard to really say. Um, but I, I would say either through nature or nurture, there are leanings more towards a more technical um, a desire to want to do more technical things, um, and maybe the the creativity that I find in programming people don't find that maybe there was some particular set of steps that I had to get to to realize that creativity for myself but other people don't end up following those steps so I think just just like you would you might not find fulfillment in gardening and someone might say this is this is ridiculous this is the most fulfilling thing I can imagine just just look at the plants you're, you're making life grow all the variation in life it's just wonderful and to you it's 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 cool, but it's just not. Well, that, so, it's not so, amazing. So. so there is something about you, maybe fundamental, that sort of determines which activity will give you fulfillment and which not. Yeah, some something something predetermined by either nature or nurture. I'm not saying I'm. Yeah, I'm being careful not to say you're born with it. Like it's, right, it could be it could be some unique set of steps that that led you towards that. Maybe you were, maybe your mum spent your spent time with you playing with i don't know radios or something yeah. and, you, and and so you that that set you down that path um, what did you did you have like a dream job when you were let's go like six did you have sort of like some I idea of really, what you wanted to i didn't be? really i didn't really sort of i, I mean apparently my mum said i wanted to be a doctor but i don't really remember it and it wasn't sort of it was maybe more of a sort of i plays with i played as a doctor you know with with other kids and i'd i'd enjoyed that play experience so right. I, I then fed that back i want to be a doctor which is not really a and yeah, that doesn't goal it's just yeah it's just something that i enjoyed doing do you so. think that's uncommon i i remember what, and I don't know, I don't know if I had anything else. But one thing that I always wanted to be when I was little that I remember sort of like saying and thinking was wanting to be an inventor. Okay, which is like it's just such is an that, un- is that a specific thing or is that just you want to make things that weren't there before? Was it a specific thing you wanted to invent or no? I think it was literally just that idea of like being able to create something new. But I never, I think that. Now, being in software is sort of an extension of that because that's really what you're doing. I've never been unpractical, let's say, in like building physical things. I just never had that growing up. I just never, because I didn't really, like my my biological dad I didn't grow up with. I had sort of good father figures around, but I was never sort of exposed in the same way that, you know, someone growing up in a rural setting would have just like actually building things out of materials. Yeah. But for me... You know, like programming is really easy because you get to build stuff out of words. 
Yeah. And that was that was always really easy. Like yeah, I never had yeah. any I never had any problems with that. So it's sort of an extension, right? Like that was an extension of what I wanted to be. It's tangential in a sense, right? In that like inventor is really broad. Usually you would, you know, what would you think of as an inventor? You would probably say that they're coming up with some sort of IP about like some machine, right? You would think about some machine but not necessarily like a computer system. And I think in the US you can patent software, but I don't know about about anywhere else. I mean, that's the reason that I'm asking. I'm just wondering like is there a way is there a way to determine determine what someone would want based on like what they wanted to be as a child? Because I think probably there's a lot of stuff deep down in people that they don't acknowledge and that you just forget when you get older. Because it took me I think I was maybe in my 20s when I remembered that sort of quote-unquote dream that I had when I was young. And I wonder if like just having that consciously, you know, as I was making decisions as I was getting older, if that would have, you know, changed where I wanted to go. Because the reason I didn't go into software straight away, even after getting into it. So if anyone's listening to this, you you were the one that got me into programming really. I think that before before really starting down that path after your suggestion, I was always sort of into websites because I had this friend called James Berridge. I don't know if you ever met James. Yeah, yeah I know James. Yeah, yeah. So James, in, in year eight, so he would have been like 13, was already doing like PHP websites. Oh, wow. That's young. Yeah. Dude, he was absolutely killing it, man. Like he would make websites for people. This was like back in the old days where, you know, you would you would get some template from Photoshop and chop it up and Dreamweaver would have it in the table and stuff like that. And he was really into that. And I remember being so... So totally in awe of having that skill at that age. And I still am. I, I, yeah. I think it's amazing that he had that skill at that age. And I remember just being so so enamored by the idea that I could create something that everyone could see and that everyone can use, right? So at first it was like HTML. It's like, ah, oh, dude, I can write words and it turns into something visual. Yeah. And like HTML and CSS blew my mind. I was like, this is crazy, man. Like I can position things. I can make things bigger, smaller, different colors all just by, by writing words, right? And then then you sort of, you come into it with like JavaScript and PHP. Like, yeah, this is, you can make a machine out of these things, out of these words. You can turn it into a machine. So I think I was like 15 or something like that when I, it must have been like year nine or year 10 when I built my first server, I remember I had like a an old computer that was running Fedora and this was on like my 1.5 megabit ADSL connection back when I was living in Como. I was like, I, I have to know how I build a computer that serves a website. Like I have to know how to do that. There was just like something something so deep in there. And then it just sort of like, it sort of went away when I was like 16, 17. It just sort of like, I don't know, just sort of went away. I was playing games. And then you came back in and you're like, yeah, let's do programming. I can't even really remember what you were talking about, but it was PHP. It was PHP that we started doing. Yeah. You're like, hey, PHP, hey, ASOT. And ever since then, it was just like real deep into it. And just that that's really what I wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, it was a way to hang out. Like you'd come over and then we'd just sort of yeah. spend the weekend and sort of sleep over and just, just program. What were we trying to do? 
I can't even really well, remember what so we were that, trying to build. I remember one of the things we were trying to build was Cocktailculator. Ah, uh, So we were yeah. trying to build a calculator. Because we were, we, were, we were having parties at that time. I don't know if you were staying at my house at that time, but we are having parties at mine and lots of people over and we, we were enjoying cocktails. And we, we had lots of ingredients left over and we wanted to know what cocktails we could make from that. And we just naturally thought a computer could solve this. Let's make a website called Cocktailculator, which would give you a that. list of cocktails you could make with the ingredients, which is quite cool. And I think years later, we discovered that someone else had done it as well. Right. Um, but we got quite into that, I think. That was one of the things do you, we built. Do you consider that a naive idea? Because I sort of, I, I, I almost look down on that idea now because I'm like, <laughs> we've, we've done, it was just exuberance. It was literally like we had found this new tool, right? This new yeah. toy that we wanted to yeah. play with. And like any anything, like anything that presented an opportunity to yeah. use this tool, to use this toy, we were like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we had a solution looking for a problem. Right. Which is yeah. okay because that's a way of learning, isn't it? Right. We, we did and it, it made us learn new things. Do you think? Do you think people that are like, that get really like heavy into the startup culture, do you reckon they just maintain that? Or, or do you think there's some sort of deeper analysis? Because I feel like that's, you mean in choosing what to work on? Right. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of, especially what what I have to catch myself doing is choosing ideas which are fun and they sound cool and maybe they've got a particular technology that just seems interesting. Mm. Um, but then actually being feasible as a business is a whole other thing. And it's it's it took me years to realize that the two things were different. That right. I can just build something that I thought was fun and cool and and everyone else wouldn't like it as well like it it actually has to be it has to be interesting in, in very specific ways for other people to use it right um, what was that first thing that you worked on? I remember sort of close to when we first met, you were working on some sort of like club pass or something with a few people in England. Yeah, so there was that was an interesting story. So so while I was doing this first year unit in England, um, I was staying in halls. So I was staying like away from my parents actually at the university, hundred like hundreds of miles away. And so I was I was hanging around these other people, and one of these guys had this idea. Um, I don't know if. Uh, he's got a patent. He actually patented it. So okay. I guess I guess I can talk about it because it's, if it's patented, it's public, right? right. It just yeah, means yeah. no one else can steal it. Um, and he, ha- he had this idea that you could have this piece of hardware on the wall in a nightclub. And people would, would have these cards and they'd sort of tag in on this machine into, into the nightclub. And, and on this card, this card would be linked to your profile and this profile would have your music preferences. So you'd, maybe you'd, you'd, at home you'd, you'd manually put your music preferences or maybe there's some kind of system that listens to what music or notices what music you listen to and builds up your preferences. And so you tag into this club and everyone tags in and you've got hundreds of people there. And then the DJ or whoever's providing the entertainment can see these preferences, kind of get a summary and it's it's sort of like a cheat way because you know a DJ has to sort of read the crowd right. um, and, and sort of see what works and they have to kind of make a few mistakes to get it right. Um, if you've got this this list, oh, everyone loves this this artist, you can sort of play a bit of that and play to the crowd. So so he came up with this idea and and there was there was going to be some website component to this yeah. you know, where the people would sign up and they they put their preferences in. Um, so that was something I got into with him and he. He ended up putting some money into it and, you know, getting this patent. And and we, we'd be sort of first years heading towards this 
really expensive lawyer's office, like sitting down trying to convey this this idea, this invention, and him saying, sort of, oh, you can't patent this bit, but maybe you can patent this bit. And, and it was a really surreal experience. So did, we, did he start with the patent? Was that sort of like a pre- prerequisite pretty to much starting like development? We, we felt like, as probably most people do, getting into kind of entrepreneurship, thinking that their idea is the best thing ever. And, right. oh, my gosh, it's going to take over the world. Yeah. We must patent this. Like, someone else could steal this tomorrow. Right. Sort of that idea-centrism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that you sort of maybe associate with like exuberant, naive young people, but not not that I'm saying I have some secret knowledge that they don't. But I feel like probably in that situation, in in the same way that like Cocktailculator sort of came up out of maybe just this like I have time, right? That's my solution looking for a problem, and yeah. then just coming up with some idea and thinking that the idea is the killer. Yeah. Yeah. So did that the did the person who had that idea did he end up making anything of it or did it sort of just fall by the wayside? No, I mean I I was really the only person building it because it had to be a sort of technical person. There was really no non technical part to it. Right. Um. So I was uh, I was probably building it for about a year, but then I think as most things I've worked on, I've become better at noticing this. Is just the the magnitude of effort required is is far outweighed what I originally thought. So it just became really defeating to to look ahead and go. I'm I'm just getting nowhere with this, and I right. would do, I would lose interest. Um, so sort of like the level of effort required for the MVP was just just too disproportionate, much. just too much. Like, can you imagine having to build a piece of hardware that had RFID stuff, which was you know it's in its infancy back then. This right. would have been fairly like bespoke stuff, and then building a whole kind of you know set of servers that would right. that would manage all of this it was just it was huge like you'd need a team now that would take six months six months maybe to get yeah. a prototype so like now with your knowledge you'd sort of you'd be much more able to estimate the level of effort that goes yeah, into and I, it yeah I, I, looking back on that idea if someone presented that to me now I'd probably just say I'm not really interested I don't know if I've got the time for this right there are other things that I, I want to learn or I'm passionate to, to just play with at the moment or maybe there are other ideas that I think could make more money more quickly I don't, I don't know if yeah it's, was, it's, was there a financial plan from the original or the, the idea <laughs> I mean, originator we got a spreadsheet out and we put some numbers in and the numbers look great right. so, so that was the plan it was like oh how many nightclubs are there and you know, you, you overestimate how many of them would buy it. You know, right. It would probably be less than 10%. And we thought like, ah, oh, well, like 70% will buy it. And the numbers just looked amazing. But it's sort fun. of, I, I guess it just, it always comes down to that fallacy of like build it and they will come rather yeah, than, exactly. than having a, a sale before. Because I, I guess your your most recent entrepreneurial venture, has that come to an end? Yeah, so it's it's... It's come to an end. Um, it's the one that's, that lasted the longest and I really felt like was going to work out. Um, and that was, it was building a piece of software for the oil and gas industry, which basically just, it visualizes the state of um, some some of the pieces of equipment that are in these big oil and gas um, setups. So, you know, your oil wells and maybe the refinery and all the pipes in between. Um, a way to visualize all of that, kind of feeding on from the previous job I was in. Um, and the person who was a colleague of mine that I, I worked with, and he presented the idea to me, um, and he introduced me to his uh, his, his friend. Um, and the three of us kind of quite... quite um, we spent two years um, outside of our, our normal full-time work building this, um, and, and we, you know, I, I worked out, I spent over a thousand hours, probably 1500 hours of coding on this thing. Wow. 
Um, and yeah, so that was, I mean, there was a lot of good things that came out of it, out of it for me. Like I learned a lot of things to do with new technologies, sort of web technologies, cloud technologies. So I'm, I'm not resentful of the fact that I put time into this, but um, in the end, I just sort of, I, I didn't really, I, I don't know how I feel about oil and gas. Like I know the word world needs oil and gas, but I'm drawn to, I, I like change. I like progress and I like progress that make things better for the world. And I, I you know, oil and gas is, is needed, but no one sort of looks at it and go, this is a really great thing that's doing. I remember you sort of saying that the, the whole idea of it was to essentially produce something that you could have an exit from, right? And then do what you really want to do, right? Yeah, the idea so, was work really hard at something for a limited amount of time, yeah. have an exit, and then, you know, take that money that, and that's run That's right, that's right. And I thought I could do that. I thought I, I mean, at the start, I thought maybe you could get an exit within five years. And then I came to realize probably maybe 10 years because selling into these big oil and gas companies takes time. They've, right. got, they've got cycles and budgets and things. So it actually, it actually takes a long time. Um, and so probably could exit after five or 10 years. But then I realized that that's actually quite a lot of time in your life. And you've, you've really got to like doing it. Right. You can't just sort of bury it and and sort of just get through it i think i am not really prepared to do that and so over time i i sort of realized that it really wasn't the industry that i was interested in it so is that what caused the thing to fail were you guys making sales or like what was the no what was the state of the project no accident so so what we left really late was showing it to people um and we we showed it to a couple of people and we didn't we didn't feel um, like it was ready to show to too many people like and and this is perhaps something that that was that was wrong and that we should have shown it to more people there's a lot of talk these days especially like the lean lean startup and right and books like that yeah, say that just frameworks. if you show something that you're not embarrassed about it's too late you should have shown it when it was in a much more primitive state when it's really an embarrassing level of development almost none at all um, in order to get feedback, and we, we didn't do that. We put way too much effort in. We put, you know, two years of effort in before we showed it to people, um, and and people weren't excited about the same areas that we were excited about. I think probably there was still a lot of so who, good in it. Were, were there clients that were excited about it? Clients is an interesting or word because clients, customers, I yeah. guess I should say. Yeah, and 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 when you think about it, like this customer's interested, it makes you realise that that customers are just people in companies, right? And so you you really only when you're trying to sell a company something, you're really only in, interacting with one person in that company who's kind of the job job is to manage maybe buying the software for that department, and so they really become your only only conduit, and so it's really hard to know if the people that are going to use that software, which aren't aren't usually the people that, that control whether they buy it or not, whether they, they're going to find use in it or not. So for, for us to speak to someone and, and, and they might say, oh, we, we don't have the budget or, you know, you're competing against this other thing is, is, is not really indicative of how useful the software is or how valuable it is. So, but isn't, isn't, shouldn't value be measured in how many people actually buy it? Because a lot of these frameworks will sort of start with that idea. So I remember I, I paid for one called the Focus Framework, which I still think is like it presents a really compelling argument for how you should go about it. I guess it's sort of lean inspired. It's basically this idea is that you start from a problem. 
you don't build anything until you're absolutely sure you at least have like some people that you could go to and present the solution to and they would really, really want it, right? You might be competing with other people, but you people have an unserved problem. Like finding the unserved problem is step one. So that sort of like measurement of whether you've got something useful, the, the you as the builder should not be the arbiter of whether it's useful. You shouldn't be deciding whether or not your your thing is useful. The decision about whether it's useful is actually if anyone buys it. Right. If anyone. Yep. Absolutely right. And and I think if your value, because because what is value? Like, is it is it is it what someone pays for it? That's cost, right? So, no, I would say I would say that what someone pays for something is is a representation of the value because the cost is obviously what you've incurred, but you could maybe something could have cost you a dollar. And if you sell it for a hundred, it implies that the value is much higher than the dollar, right? So I, got- I, I would argue the value is if if someone was to take the software and use it and save a particular amount of money or have some particular improvement in their company, that's the value they've gained in using this software. But doesn't which that- may be different to the amount of money they pay. Because if you've got a perfect assessment right. of a piece of software you're going to buy and you know exactly down to the dollar how much money it's going to save you, you can then exactly price that into how much you're you're willing to pay right and so you're able to convey that value almost perfectly but i don't think that that's the case i don't think people are perfect in that way and so the cost they're willing to to make for that for that piece of software i don't think is the same as the value they get from it all right i mean yeah obviously like obviously the idea is that you'll buy something if the if the utility if the value that it that it represents is higher than what you pay for it otherwise you wouldn't do it right because if i have you know if i have $50, I have $50 of utility, right? If I can buy something with a perceived utility of $100 for $50, like I've won. So in some ways, you know, if the... If if you've got it priced at a hundred dollars because you say that okay the utility of this is a is a hundred dollars, but someone perceives the utility is lower, or the market perceives the utility is lower, the market is probably like a way better assessor of value than than the person that built it or even a single person that buys it, right? So it's like, what is the price of this in the market? It's at least pretty close to what the the actual value is to the people in the market, right? Which I think are probably the arbiters of, you yeah. know, of what it is. If you've got like 10 competitors that have priced it, you know, priced it double what you are, then that's probably, and they're making sales, that probably represents what the value is, right? And if you come in at half, you're not necessarily saying that your value is half, but if you say you can get the same value out of it, but for half the price, mm. I don't know. But I guess like, I, do do you feel like the team of this project approached the problem in in an incorrect way? Do you think they put the cart before the horse? Do you think that whoever was like in the non technical team had gone about it in the right way? Um, there were a myriad of factors. I mean, I think having. I mean, what was good about the team is that we had someone with business experience and then we had a very very technical domain expert and then you had myself, technical software expert. So we had a broad spread, which is good. I think that's a good thing, but it also meant that the work required to get to the prototype was very, very heavily weighted on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It was a. It, although we had a three-person team, it wasn't. We weren't able to get three people working on it all the time. So that right. that that, you know, that perhaps slowed us down. It, if you approached it again, maybe you could get a couple of other people on board, like me, software people, and, and have more 
more velocity because you know it was there's, there's if you benefit. could go if you could go back two years previous knowing what you do now do you would you not take the project or would you just do something differently back then because it seems like maybe after two years i, I mean i don't know but it feels like potentially you should have something validated Yes, we should have validated. We should have talked to more people. We should have showed them more things. Um, I think we should have probably had more people coding. Um, I think we still needed the domain expert and we still needed the business expert. I think just more coders would have helped. Okay, so you still think it's a good idea? Um, I don't know. if uh, I, it, We didn't validate it, so I don't know. Okay. Yeah, is the is answer. Because, it, it, I mean, that's a pattern that I've noticed in myself is that I've the the way that I've approached ideas in the past or like even on like entrepreneurial ideas, not even necessarily like technical ideas, is that I've approached it far more from like a non how do I put this? With a path where like validation is towards the end rather than at the beginning. Because I feel like that's probably the the point of highest discomfort. Yeah, it's yeah. it's an interesting trade off. Like in, in my head I think Showing something to someone earlier, it brings forward any um, anything you haven't realized about. Maybe maybe you've just missed a whole thing that makes it an inappropriate product for the market. It brings that forward, and so you can save wasting time by working on it. But also, I do feel that there's this counter force that making something and showing it to people very early, pe- people aren't necessarily able to imagine a completed product and, mm. and what utility that will have to them. If, if you show them something that's really bare bones, it, it can also, it can sort of, you, you have that, that first first impression is, is key. And so if you spend that first impression on something that's very primitive and just does a couple of things and really doesn't seem different to anything else in the market, then you, you, going back to those people and convincing them that it, it can be better and, right. and maybe we've done something else you kind of almost tire them because they were they were never excited by the idea. Well, that's sort of the argument, isn't it? The argument being that you know, if in the most primitive iteration of your thing, people can't really see like a huge amount of utility. What that means is that the idea is maybe flawed, not necessarily the implementation, right? Like mm-hmm. if you, I guess that's the whole idea of an MVP is to you know drill it down to if it could only do one thing. And we showed it to people that we've identified as as people that want this particular thing through problem interviews or whatever, like you know, whatever techniques like that. We've identified that people have this need, right? And it's not being served. And I, I guess that's again, like just talking about myself, that's something I've never really done. That's something I've never really done. You know, problem interviews to come up with an idea for what I should do as a as a potential business because it's extremely uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. I right. find it. I find it very uncomfortable as well. I'll, I'll do almost anything to avoid it. Right. And I and I, I've noticed that. And I I think that's something that I should really work on. Because um, we we will do something together at some point, right? I'm just thinking that, for example, right now we're both in a position where we don't have side projects or anything like that. If we were just to do the thought experiment, if we were just to imagine, right? Like if we imagine that both of us quit our jobs right now and we're like, yeah, we're going to do the startup thing, all right? The way that we've approached it in the past, let's just throw that out, right? Imagine we can't program. I almost feel like that that is maybe like a more useful basis for the thought experiment. What do you mean by that? Like imagine we couldn't build the product that we wanna that we wanna build, 
right? Imagine we couldn't do it. Like what would we be doing in order to find out what to build? I guess we'd be doing all the things that we haven't done up until now because they've right. been uncomfortable. Maybe. Exactly. I think it's just talking to people. I think the right. more people you talk to yeah. when you're not the non-technical person in the business, the better the business goes. I think, I think that's pr- like to really oversimplify it that's because a a ceo basically their job is to talk to other people like maybe they're trying to raise money maybe they're going on talk shows to try and promote a product maybe they're like communicating with all their staff maybe they're trying to discuss plans with strategy people yeah and and then people the technical layers also have to communicate a lot to get get a good understanding amongst each other because this is sort of i i i was feeling like particularly dissatisfied with my job sort of this week okay it's just sort of like came to a crescendo and i've i i realized that it's because i'm just working at home by myself so i've been sort of working in this place the place where i live now for six months and it, it's a mistake that i've made multiple times and i've decided that even though it costs quite a bit of money i'm going to go work in the co-working spaces and i'm going to throw myself into yeah. like the startup culture wherever I am because that was a mistake I made in Taiwan as well like the idea being that what will make me successful at building a product is locking myself in a room and coding for you know however many hours a day that I solitude is very appealing right zero distractions distractions and context switching is and and lack of control over what you do during the day is is a real it can be tiresome and it can slow things down so so solitude is very appealing it yeah but I think that it probably contributes to ultimate failure. So what I'm what I'm trying to do now, I just started thinking about it. Like the first thing I started thinking about was like, oh, I get to leave the house. I get to go to the city. I was like, yeah, that's great. And that's sort of a, a separate thing. But then I started thinking about the sort of entrepreneurial side of things and the idea of like, okay, you know, all the times that we've maybe approached uh, like an entrepreneurial project, as people that can deliver the project, we've approached it just focusing on the things that we need to deliver and and really like sales and things like that are things that need to be delivered, but they're things that we we find difficult. I was just thinking like, let's just completely flip the script, right? Completely flip the script. Go and like go to the networking events and just be be a talker. So be so a networker. You, so you mean we're not allowed to spend an hour thinking of a name, an hour <laughs> yeah. trying to find a domain name, possibly right. even longer. And then just, I don't know, setting up a small website. Like, right. That's almost the thing I've done every time. I just almost can't control it. It's, but I think for us, that's just so easy. Like for some people, the idea of even just putting a website on the internet is like almost an insurmountable task. They're like, I will never know how to do this. It's, it's very pleasurable as well because you feel like you're getting a lot done when right. you're doing these things. It's vanity, you, right? Yeah, it's, and you feel like, wow, this product's going to be done in no time. Look at all these steps I'm completing. Yeah. It's, so, it's very enjoyable. So and it just but it just completely ignores what it would actually be to be a business. So that was just my thought experiment. I'm like, okay, like what if Chris and I like what if what we did was we we opened we, we found a name, we opened a company, but we had zero idea. Like the idea was just like we will do something, right? But we're just gonna we're gonna get the legal structure down, we'll have two shares, right? Fifty fifty. But then all all we do after that is we just go to like startup events. All we do is all the stuff that we've never done. So you, all all we do is actually just like go and talk to people. That's all we do. All we do <laughs> is problem interviews. Like actually, no no idea about you know any time frame to actually start an idea. No deadline. Literally just go and do the things that we haven't done. So so 
I can see where you're going, but what right. what what about going to these startup events? What's that going to trigger? What's are you, are you trying to find an just, idea, or are you trying to find co like co-founders, or are you? Like, I think it's the... literally just doing the things that it's almost like in Sapiens, right? Where you're talking about how to like conjure a, conjure a company, mm. right? Mm. So in the book, they mention the fact that like. A company is just a shared fiction, right? Mm, it doesn't yeah. exist. It's separate from all the people that are in it. If if all the people died, the com- I mean, we had a conversation this, you know, in the sauna about this the other day. But like, if all the people died, the company would still exist, right? Mm. In the view of the state, in the view of all the people, like this is an entity. So, the idea of the shared fiction being like an accountant, really, what they're doing when they're you know putting in the um, you know the, the the formation documents for a company, it's just an elaborate. An elaborate, uh, you know, ceremony. That's yeah. all it really is. It's a ritual. Yeah, yeah, it's a ritual. So, if if we look at just like the ritual of being a successful startup, being a successful entrepreneur, the activities that we're doing—that's really interesting, right? The activities <laughs> that we're doing are are not the activities that are like typically associated with like a successful startup, right? The ritual that we're doing. Is, is not right because what we're doing is we're focusing on very like a small part of the ritual, right? If the ritual was about, you know, sacrificing something and then doing a dance and then, you know, having a particular style of music and then praying, praying to a particular God, we maybe have just, you know, sacrificed, but we haven't done any of the other stuff. So what if we... With, what if we just start the things that are difficult? What if we just start doing the things it's like, oh, I hate dancing, I hate praying to this God, right? Yeah. But I sort of I've identified from all the other people that have accomplished what this ceremony is supposed to accomplish. I've identified that they've done those things, or someone on their team has done those things. What if I start with that? Because if I start with that and I can, you know, become marginally successful at those things, then the thing that I find easy, sacrificing the animal, I can just do. Like that's the easy part. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, 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 what are some examples of other things that you would do that you you consider as part of the ritual of running the company that you envisage? Because, because I'm a little bit worried that it becomes more about it's it's like when I, when I was younger, I'd I'd look at running a company and I'd I'd think of all the things that a company would do and I'd see them almost as just cool, like the idea of having a big office and just having like all the minute details of running a company, I would think, oh, these are really important. But actually the central thing in a company is, is the people and, and the product and the, and the thing you're selling. And, and so, so I'm a little bit worried that just sort of focusing, I, I agree you shouldn't focus on the things that we've only focused on so far, but we should focus on the things that are important for the business, but are uncomfortable to us now. So we should still focus on the product and the people but instead of just making the product and doing mm. the fun things with the product, we should do things with the product that are uncomfortable, like promoting it and re- validating it and, and things like that. So I guess going to startup events, if that's contributing to one of those things, then yes, that's good. But if it's just like we're running a company, let's go to a startup event because that's what company people do, that that I don't think would be productive. But maybe that's not what you're in. I just suggesting. I mean, the, the people when I was in Taiwan, I met, I met a couple of people that have been successful like had successful exits or you know had a you know bootstrapped a company that's been successful one thing that i found in common with all of those is that they were in some community they had sort of 
a community mentor. And mentors is something that I also wanted to talk to you about, right? Because I've never really had a mentor. And part of it comes down to the fact that I've never really had someone in my life where I, where I looked at their life and thought, I really want that. But I guess that's not really that's not really a productive way to look at it. But anyway, going back to all those people that I've met that have you know been successful in tech, they're all people that they're just out there in that scene. And I sort of in part of me really like hates that scene because I feel like it's it's I don't know in in some ways it's a little obnoxious. Not the people are obnoxious, but like the like the whole startup culture for me sometimes I find it it. It doesn't feel that rewarding. It doesn't feel that positive or anything like that. But all the people that I've seen that are successful are involved in that in some way, right? So again, it comes down to like identifying someone that's doing some ritual. And maybe there's some sort of connection that we can't see yet. I maybe think it's so. just I think that's the case. One of one of my friends um that I that I met in Taiwan, Rob, who's a very successful entrepreneur, shout out to Rob. He one thing that that he always mentioned was that just seeing people around you that have been successful completely changes your psychology right. about approaching the problem, right. right? Because you just if just seeing someone that like on a on a day to day basis, you're like, oh, this person's you know maybe x percentage points more intelligent, less intelligent, or whatever. You have an assessment of this person that's probably going to come to the conclusion that this person is essentially similarly skilled to me, mm. right? They're, they're not some savant. They're just mm. a person that is similarly skilled to me, similarly intelligent. They've just done some activities that have contributed to them being successful. And seeing that, you're just like, oh, I just need to do the same activities. So th- there are all these aspects of like being around people that are like doing it, like quote unquote doing it. Right, like wow, you know these people are actually doing something that I've never been able to do, but they're essentially the same as me. Psychologically, you're just like, well, let me just copy them. Let me just learn from them. Let me imitate. Right, not not copy their idea, but like copy their activities. How did they? How did they come up with their idea? How did they validate their idea? And I think just maybe being being in the scene. That's that's one thing, right? You get presented with people that are doing the thing that you have some idea that you want to do. Not specifically that idea, but you're like, yeah, I'd like to have a tech company that is successful, that makes some money. Okay, so you see people that are doing that particular thing that you want to do. The other thing being that like throwing yourself into into networking events, it's you don't realize, but there are a lot of people that are looking looking for a solution to a problem, right? So the other thing is you're already exposing yourself to people that are like, you know, maybe potential customers, people. But then I think even more importantly is that you're you're doing the thing that is uncomfortable for a developer, which is being out with people. You're becoming confident. You're starting to see value and, and finding it really easy to just be in a room full of people and network and do those things and and actually find it fun. Just be like, well, I'm doing I'm doing the ritual. I'm doing the ritual and how can I have as much fun in this ritual as possible? Just sort of like tick the boxes but have fun. That's just sort of what's come to my head the last couple of days. So I wanna I'm gonna go get a membership at Space Cubed, I'm gonna go work there, I'll go to all the events, that sort of thing. As just like a way to flip it. Just a way to flip it on its head before I have any sort of idea and actually yeah, just try and be completely independent of the idea and just focus more on like the rituals that have led other people to be able to do this particular thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what uh, you gave some examples there, which are good, and I guess it depends what what ritual you're talking about. If you're just talking about going to these events, is is the ritual then like? I think the exposure there you're getting is the main thing there. Uh, but but I like what you said about imitating with how they validated things and how they how they approach their product. That's that's a, a more specific example than just going to um, going to these things and being around people. So um, yeah, and I think the exposure exposure to like-minded people and passionate people will invoke new ideas, and 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 I think that's that's definitely a thing. You Would should you do. come to those events with me? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm actually very close, so yeah. 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 Yeah, I think they have what? They have Flux and Riff. Have you ever worked at either of them? Have you ever been oh, to Oh, I've been to there? Flux for a couple of hackathons. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, you've done a couple of hackathons. What was the other one? Riff. Riff. I don't... Riff, I think it is. Unless they've renamed... Because there's always been Space Cubed on, like, one of the higher floors of one of those buildings, and I've yeah. done hackathons there as well. All right. Well, let's... Yeah, that, sure. that's that's the next step. Let's go do it. So, so what are these events? What do they? Is uh, it just just meet startup people? Is that the premise? I think they the the ones that I saw. Yeah, almost some, but the ones that I saw were, um, I mean, the just to start off with would just be like the Friday drinks. I think they just have like a happy hour four to six yeah. on on Fridays, and just like go go hang out with people that yeah. are like trying to do it. It's it's good. It's the kind of thing that. Every now and again, I get I somehow get some enthusiasm for and go and do it. And yeah. but most of the time, I like you say, I, I almost fear it because it's. I, I find that I, I, small talk, I, I guess, is something that I sort of tolerate, but it's it's something that I'm not very good at. I think, okay. uh, or it just makes me feel uncomfortable. Or maybe I think I'm bad at it, but maybe I'm not. And so, like. I guess like is the whole introvert extrovert thing. I don't know how to explain it, but I guess you would class myself as an introvert. Um, but it's having someone like you who has enthusiasm to do it and encourages me is good. So I think we should do that. I think I should take advantage of that. All right. Well, on that note, I think it's a good, good okay, way to well, end it. We'll end it. Yeah, well, thanks for that. That was more enjoyable than I thought it would be. Yeah, we just we just keep talking. We have good conversations. We'll never run out of things to talk about. <laughs> Let's just go do more things that we can talk about. <laughs> Let's anyway. just put microphones on ourselves all the time yeah, throughout just, life. Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? First episode in the bank. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have listened, who am I talking to? If you have any feedback or suggestions about the show, suggestions for guests, or you just want to get in touch with me, I'm available at percy at percygrunwald.com or as at percygrunwald on Twitter and Instagram. Please feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. Well, speak at you next time. Go to bed. <laughs>